I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. My name is Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And Chris, the Mets just wrapped up a seven-game homestand in which they went 5-2 and two against two pretty good teams in the San Diego Padres and the Chicago Cubs. We're going to talk about Jacob deGrom in a few minutes, but overall, how do you feel coming out of this homestand? Do you think 5-2 and two was uh, a satisfactory uh, result? Would you have wanted them to see them take one more? Are you that greedy? You know, how, how are you feeling going coming out of this homestand? <laughs> I don't think I'm that greedy. I, I, I'm feeling good. Last night, obviously, it would have been nice to see the Mets win and, and complete the four-game sweep, which is just very hard to do. You know, they're they're just saving that for if they face the Cubs in the playoffs. That's all. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's – the Padres are, are – a good team. Uh, the Cubs, I think, have been a little surprisingly good, but that doesn't mean that they're, you know, they, they've got the winning record. Uh, that's there. You know, they they were leading their division coming into the series as well. Um, you can't just write that off. So to take both series uh, is great. Obviously, the Sunday game against the Padres felt like it could be a win, even though they didn't score all that much until things went very much off the rails. Um, I, I think the only annoyance from this week was that Sean Reed Foley wasn't up on Sunday just because it was a Lucchese start and, and they had, uh, some availability issues 
from uh, either pitchers having been used or uh, we know Trevor May was dealing with sort of like a sinus infection kind of thing and, and some ineffectiveness uh, in his recent outings. So, you know, he hadn't pitched a ton. Uh, so he wasn't the guy that they went to when things got tight and Jerry's familiar was left in way too long. Yes. Um, so, but that, that's like my one gripe coming out of the week. Um, last night getting shut out by a guy who doesn't throw hard and, and then the bullpen, uh, I've seen that movie before. It doesn't make it any more enjoyable in the moment, but, um, I don't know. I just, I love that Trevor May last night. And I think Stroman, I mean, Stroman always is tweeting upbeat things about the Mets, but Trevor May after the game, uh, you know, tweeted something along the lines of like great homestand. Let's take it on the road. Um, you know, just seeing that positivity coming out of the pitchers who pitched last night and did a very good job uh, on a night the lineup didn't have it. I don't know. It's just these guys are pretty online, so it makes it easy to to root for them and and fall in love with the team. Uh, and I don't know. You, you you can't tell everything from being outside, but it seems like they just have that thing going. Uh, they they care about each other and the pitchers aren't upset that the offense didn't show up for you know for that game. Um, so yeah, I feeling pretty great. It's uh, you know we're we're more than halfway through June and the Mets are in first place uh, with a legitimately pretty good record. You know, we're not talking about a, a you know thirty-one and thirty record, and, and everybody else is just bad. Um, and now they have an opportunity to go and play the Nationals, who are without Max Scherzer, and Strasburg is is out, right? Or at least yes, he's not he is. pitching. Yes. Yeah, they will not see Strasburg. Yeah, I mean, I so there's an opportunity here. Uh, you know, the the Mets pitching. Might not be optimal going into four games over the course of three days either, but there is definitely an opportunity here to kind of beat up on a national team that is very much bottomed out from its fairly recent World Series championship. Yep. <laughs> um, I mean, then the Nationals have not even announced their pitchers for, I think, any but maybe Friday's game. Um, no, they also announced Patrick Corbin for Sunday. So while the Mets have a TBD for the Saturday night cap, that's probably going to be a bullpen game regardless. So you're probably going to see, I would say you're probably going to see like Drew Smith open and Sean Reed Foley go from there or something along those lines. Um, but yeah, the Nationals are kind of a broken team right now. And so the Mets have an opportunity to take, you know, hopefully three or four games from the Nationals this weekend. And that will just continue their recent, you know, very, very good streak. So, you know, some notes on the homestand. The Padres and Mets split the series in San Diego. And most people I know felt like, oh, thank goodness, you know, we we split it. It would have been really embarrassing to, to lose that series. But the Padres are a good team, blah, blah, blah. And I find some of those same people are mad that they took two of, two of the three from the Padres over the weekend. And I just don't know how you could have been afraid of the Padres a week ago and not afraid of the Padres now. Now, I understand that that game was very winnable for a couple of reasons, but 
it's baseball, man. It's a, it's a long season and lots of things <laughs> right. happen like that, right? Like I, I don't see how it can be a disgrace. And people, you know, Mets Twitter is Mets Twitter. But some folks were like, it's a disgrace that the Mets blew that game on Sunday. No, that's just what happens in a baseball season. If it was a DeGrom start <laughs> that they um, that they brought in Jerry's Familia and he gave up nine home runs, that's a disgrace, right? Like this was, it was a Lucchese start. They had won the first two games of the series. It's fine. Same yeah. thing. Mets Twitter was apoplectic last night over them taking a two zip, uh, you know, loss after the first inning. People were like, "Welp, there goes the game." And I just don't understand how these people can watch the Mets every night and feel that way. I mean, the night before, the Mets scored six runs off the Cubs. The night before that, they scored three runs off the Cubs. Why couldn't they have scored two runs last night? Now, it turns out they didn't because, again, it's baseball and this stuff happens. But people were just treating this like it was the like this was the fall of Rome or something. I'm like, no, they still took three of four from the Cubs, the Cubs who were fighting for first place in the Central. You know, I know that it hurts to take a loss off a starting pitcher whose fastball velocity tapped out at 89. I understand that can be a frustrating thing. But people are just making this, I think it's a much too big of a deal. I mean, Keith Hernandez said at the end of the game last night, he said, it's very hard to sweep a series, especially a four-game series. Yeah. And the, and the Mets lost yesterday. I mean, yes, it would have been nice if the bats had woken up a little bit. But essentially, if Marcus Stroman had executed one pitch better, it might have been a very different game. You, yeah. And, and he pitched well the rest of the game. The defense looked good. Pete Alonso made that great play. You know, it's it's okay to lose a game now and then. We're not in a position where losing one game is going to cost the Mets the season right now. And so, yeah, it just seems to me like the homestand was a good thing. Capital G, capital T, good thing. And uh, <laughs> I just wish the people were, were a little bit less reactionary whenever the slightest thing goes wrong. Especially because, yeah. like, like we said, the Mets, so, as we didn't say this, I meant to say this before, this was the first of four consecutive four-game series that the Mets have. And the other three four-game series are against worse teams than this. So if they could take three of four from the best team of the four, that makes me feel pretty good about the next stretch of games. Yeah. And Absolutely. Look, there's three doubleheaders in that next stretch of games. They're probably not going to win four games in each of these series. It's very hard to sweep a doubleheader as well as the games surrounding a doubleheader. So, you know, I just think that Mets fans need to realize that the team is doing very, very well right now. It's doing well despite a lot of obstacles still being in its way roster-wise, and we'll talk about those in a little bit. A little bit. But we took we took four of seven from the Padres for the season series. Did anybody have that at the start of the year? Right. You know, I and to your I, point, I, I can't Tatis be too only, Yeah, Tatis only really burned them once. Right. And in seven games, that's pretty good. Absolutely. I, you know, that guy is he, he's doing that to everybody. <laughs> so, right. Uh, to, to get to that point where you'd already won the season series from them. And you get to that big spot, and you're just like, oh, no. Uh, you, you saw it coming, and then it happened, it, like you said, because it does. It just does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't mean to be dismissive of a loss, but, you know, these things happen. 
And you know, again, like if if you if you take a step back, and you said to somebody, "All right, the Mets are going to start to Grom on Wednesday. He's only going to go three innings. He's going to leave with an injury." That sounds like the worst news you could imagine. They won the game. The injury doesn't appear to be very serious. I just, I, 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 I just don't get the doom and gloom right now. I know that it sucks. It absolutely sucks that Degrom left the game. I was there. Nobody was more pissed than the thirty thousand people in that stadium. It was like someone popped a balloon. The energy just flew out of that place as soon as Degrom left the game. It sucked. I paid more money than I wanted to to go to that game, and I got three innings <laughs> to the ground. You know, and granted, he struck out eight people and and uh, had an RBI single. So in one on one hand, I got my money's worth, but you understand what I'm saying. It's just you know the doom and gloom surrounding this team. Just it will. I don't know if it's just the. I don't know if it's Mets fans. I don't know if it's Twitter. I don't know if it's the alchemy of both. But it just seems to me like everything becomes doom and gloom, and that's really annoying. Yeah. So you watched the Degrom start on TV, which I did not have a chance to do. How early on did you know he was hurt? Uh, only shortly before he left the game, and uh, pretty much because Ron picked up on it, um, and then Gary and Keith both agreed with him. But Ron picked up on it uh, on it pretty much in the moment. Uh, it just pointed out, <clears throat> "Hey, I, I, you know, something's up." Some do something on the mound, and then they started to talk about how well these guys know their own bodies, and and you know they just they they kind of pointed it out. I didn't see it. Whatever Ron saw um, at the at the same time, but <clears throat> he was pretty confident. So by the time that inning ended, and then he goes into the dugout, and you see him going down the tunnel, uh, it was not surprising. So I'd imagine being there in person, it might have been a little more surprising because he was perfect with eight strikeouts through three innings and still throwing 100 in, in the third inning. You know, there was no no drop off in performance, no drop off in, in velocity, any of that. So, yeah, it it just seems like, you know, Give the guy some rest, no matter how much he wants to be out there in a few days. Uh, and I'm not saying a month, but let's just take it slow. I think the Mets are showing that they find ways to get by. And if he needs to miss a start or two and then get back out there and hopefully not have any more of these you know, little issues, that would be the wise move for a long season? Yes. Yes. So... Um, I, I have seen some some folks, I, including our own uh, Vass, tweet out something like, "It's a ten day IL," <laughs> you know, and I completely agree with him. Put him on the IL for ten days. It, it, it yes, it's going to cost him a start or two, and if you really care about the Sayang and things like that, I can understand wanting to make sure he's out there for all those starts. I care more about this team winning a championship, and I care more about Jacob Degrom's career long term than I do about specific single season accolades also his fucking era is 0.54 right he's gonna win the Cy Young <laughs> yeah. award let him skip a start or two to make sure he's healthy i don't understand why the mets aren't doing this I mean, I, look i understand he's their star player he wants to play but this is now the is it the third or the fourth minor injury he's had this year 
Um, well, I guess technically, uh, technically it's the third, right? Because it was the it was the side soreness, right yes. side tightness, soreness, whatever word it was. And then there wasn't a separate issue, or, or no? Did he have in in the spring? Was there something that the, his lap was a little tight? Yes. Yeah, so there there was there was. I, I think this is number four. I think. Okay. Um, but yeah, in, in the recent string of it, certainly in season, it was it was the right side, and then a little tendonitis with the elbow, mm-hmm. uh, or or stuff around it, and then shoulder soreness. <clears throat> so yeah. It it just seems to me like at at some point here there has to be a there has to be a reason why all these little things are I mean, I guess it could just be terribly bad luck where all these little things are going wrong at the same time. But that seems it seems to me like maybe there's something that he's favoring and so therefore because he's favoring something, everything else is suffering because of that. You know, maybe and I'm not saying that he's hiding an injury from the Mets. I'm not implying that at all. But maybe he's just more uncomfortable with X body part, and so he's trying to overcompensate for that. Um, because it does seem very strange that there are all these minor lingering injuries popping up. Am I just being a conspiracy theorist here, or do you tend to agree with that type of a thought? Yeah, no, I, I don't think you're being a conspiracy theorist at all. Uh, I'm not. I'm not overly alarmed, and that, and you're not either. Uh, but. It just seems like you know, something. Maybe, maybe it's just the, the result of tweaking something just a little bit after that side soreness, uh, and and now that's putting a little more strain on the arm, uh, and and he's picking up on it and getting himself out of these games, but which I think he should be commended for. Um, we know how much of a competitor he is, and we know how much any player in the moment can get caught up uh you know they're they're on they're out there on the field especially a pitcher uh, that day is a very different day than the other four for them mm-hmm. in, in, in that five-day cycle um to be able to say hey look i don't i don't feel right and acknowledge it and and come out even though you're throwing i know it's just three innings and you gotta let it go a little bit more before you start thinking about it but you're throwing a perfect game Right, and and looking unhittable, um, it's not an easy thing to do. So, good on him for at least acknowledging that sort of thing. On a just personally, on a much, much, much lower, smaller scale. This spring, I start. I'm like, okay, didn't do a whole lot of activity last year. Let me get out and start running a little bit. And I tweak something in my knee and then I still finish that run that day. Like that was stupid, you know, and that was me alone in a park, right? <laughs> Not me with the thousands of people cheering me on as I'm, as I'm doing a professional sport and doing that task better than anybody has ever done it. Um, so that's not easy to come out. The other side of it, I guess is, you know he's going to push to to make his start if he feels good, and I think the Mets do have to step in a little bit. Um, he's not the type of guy who's going to you know, get super pissed off over anything, uh, but I, I would just like to just pump the brakes a little, skip a start, 
the, the Mets should still be in first place, even if he skips one or two. Um, and even if they are not, getting him back can help, you know, help push them back to that position. So, so yeah. Uh, and, and Howie on the radio agreed with the overall situation, with everything that you just said. Mm-hmm. You know, basically saying that he had asked Luis Rojas, look, this is a series of things. Don't you think there's something, even if there's nothing major showing up, don't you think there's something going on that he just needs a little rest? Um, and these days, uh, Howie's the Mets legend in the broadcast booth. I don't agree with every single take he has, but I, I was thinking exactly like him and you uh, when he said that stuff last night on the broadcast. It just seems like there's not a real downside to giving him a rest except potentially pissing him off. Right. <laughs> right? I mean, can you think of another downside, really? Uh, no. No. It's I, I guess two additional losses, right? Like if if they have to call up some schmuck to pitch and he blows two games big time, two additional losses on the season. Right. I'll I'll live with that to put him on the IL and make sure he's feeling better. Yeah, yeah, and look, you uh, obviously have the best chance of winning when DeGrom is on the mound, but on a nightly basis, a pitching matchup could be even or lopsided, and the outcome could be anything. Um, and and look, the, the pitching that they're going up against in these upcoming series, I guess the Phillies probably have the best, but they still have the Phillies bullpen. Yes, they do. And that's still the furthest away. So if it's a if it's a one start break for Degrom, he's back for that series anyway. Um, you know, Atlanta's pitching's a mess, and as we already mentioned, you know the Nationals don't have their two best guys and Patrick Corbin. Uh, I, I hate to ever declare a guy toast in the first half of a season, especially because he's looked a little bit better lately. A little yeah. bit better lately. Right, he's come down from like the ten ERA. <laughs> But he's just not pitching like the guy that the Nationals had signed and, and the guy that he was uh, in Arizona. And then also, he, he kind of took a step forward, I think, when he when he got out of that hitter's park in Arizona. Um, so, yeah. It, I know it's weird to say when you're playing this many division games in a row, but if ever there was a time you could afford the break... It's now, and I, in the concept of seven-inning doubleheaders in major league games, I hate, but man, it is definitely helping out for the, the, these Mets um, who have had so many games postponed, and now to have to string all this stuff together, um, you, you can have an easier time of getting through these games when you're down to Grom, Carrasco, and Syndergaard. Yeah, yeah. It it again. There's just no reason to not be uh to not be a little bit cautious right now. To me, it just it just seems very silly. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. But I also feel like they're not going to put them on the aisle no matter what. So they're going to have to cobble together a start without the roster spot flexibility. And the roster flexibility is going to become a bigger issue in the next couple of weeks because uh, maybe today, as we're recording this on Friday, June uh, 18th, maybe today the Mets are getting back Jeff McNeil. Looks like maybe a week or so from now the Mets are getting back Michael Conforto. We know that Albert Almora Jr. is on the path back as well. Uh, J.D. Davis and Brandon Nimmo, I think, are less likely. Although Nimmo might be starting a rehab assignment soon, I heard as well. So, you know, we don't know exactly when those guys are coming back. But it just seems like there's going to be a roster crunch soon. And we spoke to Josh Eppard, which came out yesterday, which is, if you guys haven't listened to that Amazing Avenue in conversation, Josh is a really enthusiastic Mets fan. We had a lot of fun talking with him. Um, but he, he sort of mentioned this idea of, you know, not wanting to break up the bench mob because they have a good thing going. And Chris and I sort of, you know, I would say gently disagreed with that. Um, but I think the point stands that there's a lot of players who are who are sort of firing on all cylinders right now who the Mets might have to part with. And so I want to talk a little bit about this roster crunch. So, Chris, who are the guys? Well, I mean, you know what? Let me – before we start, let me pull up the Mets' current 25-man roster. Um 26. I want 20, sorry, 26. <laughs> Look at me living in the past. At least I said IL before. Yes. At least I said IL before. Um, but so, you know, there are certain people who are just not going to be taken off of this roster. So on the position player side, the catchers, we have McCann and Nito. Infielders, we have Pete Alonso, Brandon Jury, Luis Guillerme, Lindor, Peraza, VR, outfielders, Billy McKinney, Kevin Pillar, Dom Smith, Mason Williams. It seems to me like the obvious choice for um, when Conforto comes back is obviously Mason Williams, right? No yeah. offense, dude. See you later. Um, I don't. I believe he would have to be DFA'd, correct? Mm, he is out of options, and and he's he's performed capable capably, which it sucks, but. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I, I just feel like you're not going to get rid of him right now. Right. Um, when I saw him in Syracuse, I was like, oh, this guy looks the part. Uh, and he didn't have a big night that night or anything, but just, just the way he played, the way he carried himself, he looked the part of a, a major league player. Um, but and, and I suspect, given his brief run of success here, that he could get claimed. Um, and if he does... That's just sort of the way it goes, you know. Good, good for him if he gets more of a shot. Absolutely, uh, yeah. It's a bummer because I, I, I tend to like him as a, as a fifth outfielder, but there's just there's no room on this roster right now. Um, when McNeil comes back today, 
it seems like it's either going to be Brandon Drury or Jose Peraza who goes away. And I believe Drury still has options. That's Is that yeah. correct? Yep. And I think Peraza actually still has one too. Oh, does I he? just don't oh. know. Okay. Yeah, I just don't know if the contract they signed him to had any stipulations about being in the big leagues, opt-outs, um, anything of that nature that would maybe sort of decide that tiebreaker. I mean, j- strictly based on what we've seen, I would send Drury back to Syracuse because we know he uh, he can be sent there. There's no risk to it. Right. Um, and, and I think Peraza has just overall been a little better. Drury has contributed. You know, he hit a couple home runs. He, he made that excellent play on the double play where he fielded the ball, hit third base with his glove, and completed the double play with uh, throwing out the runner at first. So there have been some moments that that's like the hard thing with all this is like there's, there have been some moments with every one of these guys. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I actually think I, I would probably send Drury down first just to, even though it, it leaves you with just one bench infielder, um, just to delay the chance of DFAing somebody and losing them by another day. Just in case somebody else gets hurt, that kind of a thing, you know. Right, right. I mean, I, I definitely think that today would be the day you have to, with McNeil, you have to send out an infielder, because even though McNeil can technically play some outfield, he's basically an infielder, and it just it just makes sense to do that. I don't know if I agree with sending down Jury ahead of Peraza. If Peraza can be sent down, I think you send him down because. I think Drury is a bigger threat off the bench than Peraza is. And mm. Peraza's skill set is somewhat neglect, negated rather by McNeil and Guillaume in terms of being a uh, you know second and third baseman, you know not necessarily a, a power threat. Although he's had a couple of home runs this season, you know I think Drury is is more that power righty off the bench that I would. I would like to have on the team, um, but I don't think there's a wrong answer here. I think I think it's kind of it's unfortunate because both of those guys have done all right, but obviously you want McNeil over either of those guys on the on the roster right now, right? And then the one other possibility is they could option Drew Smith, uh, and then keep him around on the taxi squad and make him the twenty seventh man for all three double headers. Oh, that's very true. Yes. So that that gets you one spot on the active roster. Smith has kind of struggled. Uh, we didn't mention one of the the only uh, transaction of of that kind of level was that the Mets DFA Jacob Barnes coming off yes um, a rough outing on Sunday <laughs> to, to put it nicely. Um, and I don't want to say Jacob Barnes is never going to have a click as a major league pitcher. I know Jerry May Hefner and. Look, these, you're always going to hype up the guys who are in your organization. But I, I know there was some stuff that the Mets saw that they thought that they might be able to capitalize on and, and turn him into a really effective reliever instead of sort of a borderline major leaguer. But because he struggled the way he did, I'd imagine he clears and accepts an assignment to Syracuse. Um, and, and maybe he'll be back, but totally fine with the move at, at that time. Uh, and it was to bring Sean Reed Foley back up. And as you all know, we are a Sean Reed Foley, Sean Reed Foley uh, fan podcast. Oh yes, yeah. so you know we have to celebrate the return of SRF. Indeed, and hey, 
you, you paid to see DeGrom, but you got to see Reed Foley That's uh, true. as well. So, <laughs> you know, did you and, really lose? <laughs> <laughs> not Reed Foley at his best, but, you know, again, like he came in, he, he probably wasn't as warmed up as he would normally be. Yeah. And he had a, a home run on his first batter faced, the first hit of the game. But then he settled in, he pitched two innings, and, you know, I think he's an incredibly valuable guy to have on the roster. Right. So, it, it, because he has options and because he's been up and down so many times, they could take that same approach that I mentioned with Smith with him, where you say, look, we want him around for the doubleheader days, um, but we're going to option him otherwise. Uh, that's not my preference. But, but yeah, they, they have been playing with this four-man bench. And then I think you, you could do it that way, but I'd also understand if they keep the four-man bench and keep all these guys in the bullpen just because there are there are a lot of innings to be covered over the next few days. Um, and trying to pick your spots with the 27th man can be a little tougher, especially with Reed Foley, because you just don't know the night that you're going to need that multiple-inning guy. Right. And, um, and I know that they have Gazelman as, a, as another multi-inning guy, but with these doubleheaders, you're going to need at least two of those guys. Right. I mean, and, you could you could approach one or two of the doubleheader games as as Gazelman Reed Foley um, combining for six innings. The problem and, with that though is then if if Stroman or someone gets hurt in the next for the first inning of the next game, you're out that long guy. Yeah. You know, yeah. especially because with the doubleheaders being seven innings, you you I I think. I, I just I just don't know I don't know it's tough it's a really it's a really tough call yeah yeah but, here uh, here's my next difficult question for you though Chris just sure. when you just when you thought we were past the difficult questions um, <laughs> does Albert Almora Jr. come back and play for the major league squad this year this year yes but he not I don't think he'll be activated immediately um, when he's done with his rehab assignment and he has options. He can play in Syracuse. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, that that catch that he made earlier in the season was a very good one, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed the, the Spanish broadcast call of it, yes. which just <laughs> brought it up another notch in terms of where it, where it stands out in this Mets season. And you, objectively, if everybody, was, if everybody was healthy and playing at the level they've played at, you'd say, you know, okay, he's he's an odd man out here. So you hate to, you know, see a guy give up his body and really hit the wall hard, uh, luckily avoid any serious injury, but still go on the injured list, spend some time out, rehab, and then, all right, you're in Syracuse until we need you again. Um, it, just on that, like, personal level, you, you hate to – say nah he shouldn't be back but but he shouldn't not right now um you know billy mckinney hadn't sort of broken out a little bit here you you might be able to make an argument uh, otherwise uh, if mason williams even uh, you know if you're getting to the point that almora might be activated mason williams is probably already off the roster anyway um but it, it's tough when you know when guys get that shot and and you're already sort of borderline 
um, and have continued to struggle at the plate, which has been a, a theme now for, for quite a while with them. Uh, it's just a little bit redundant to have a, a light hitting guy who can play defense when they've been getting good defense. Right. Uh, whether it's been Pilar, uh, Williams, um, you know, they, they've managed to have center field covered and uh, we can't really talk about it enough. And it comes up on the broadcasts a lot too. The positioning and defense has just been a, a massive step forward from the Wilpon era. Almost and, comically so. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, look, there's there's no reason that getting a larger analytics staff in place uh, can't result in, in quick changes. Um, but just the fact, and I know there have been some balls over the last week that Dom Smith didn't get to that, that like a, an average left fielder would have gotten to, but the combination of positioning and, uh, you know, look, Smith has put in a lot of work out there. I think he has legitimately improved at playing a position that he's been forced into playing, um, I want to say he's something like second or third in UZR for left fielders this season. Yeah, which is it's crazy. Like he's he's been more capable than any of us would have ever guessed. And that's also somewhat of an indictment on UZR, I suppose. But you know, but right, that's okay. Right. But and look, if a guy looks a little bit better in defensive metrics because um, a combination of his own effort to improve at the position and better information and better strategy coming from uh, the front office and, and, you know, and the coaching staff, that's a win. And look, Dom's not hitting the way he had hit the last two years, but if he can return to that form as a hitter and play left field exactly the way he's playing it with no further improvements, that's still a very valuable player. Oh, absolutely. Uh, which is, which is great. Like the, the whole point and I know it came up a lot when the Mets played the Rays of like the Rays approach, just do the things you do well more. Right. Um, and if it just took a little nudge in, in the analytics direction to, to do that sort of thing, um, I think how, how crazy it is to think that if the Wilpons had a little bit more commitment to that, Jacob DeGrom's ERA might be like, Point one or point two lower on his career, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> than it already is, and it's already uh, you know outstanding. But, but yeah, and I, I think, like that sort of a thing. There's still so much talk about like, oh, what are analytics? Uh, what are they doing? What's the game like? All that kind of stuff. But, um, I don't know. I think baseball, and and for as long as I've been a fan. People talk about it's a game of sort of adaptation. A game of adjustments is is the cliche, and things change, strategies change, um, and and what's happening in the game at any given time changes. And I don't know. As a fan, I tend to like lower scoring in general, so I, I don't mind the pitching dominance. Um, and you just, it's a sport where you can enjoy 
your team doing well, no matter what that uh, context is. Sure, sure. You know, I don't, I don't feel as much that way about like hockey and football. I mean, look, if the Giants and Rangers um, are like bad offensive teams, but are so good at defense that they're winning a lot of games, I'm, I'm still going to watch. But I don't feel that same way with those sports. I, I want those teams to light it up and then also play solid defense to, you know, to go along with it. Uh, but in baseball, I can en- enjoy any kind of context and defense. And this is ironic coming from someone who hasn't been to a Mets game in person since 2019. But I think defensive uh, excellence is something that you can really, really enjoy in person, uh, especially if you're, I mean, from anywhere in the park, uh, of course, but like the upper deck behind home plate in any ballpark, if a team is playing sound defense, it is just a joy to watch that from that perspective. Yes. Agreed. Uh, I do want to correct you though. You were at a Mets game in 2020. Well, yeah, <laughs> a Mets regular season game. Okay. There we go. All right. <laughs> just, just keep me <laughs> honest here, Chris. That's all. Um, all right, next difficult question about the roster. Does Billy McKinney have to go away when uh, Brandon Nimmo is back? Oh, man. I, I, I'm all in on the McKinney thing. So <laughs> I'm just going to say no. I don't know if the roster math is going to work out that way. Um, but I'm just going to say no. He's not. He's not going away. He's earned enough that um, he can at least stick around as the fifth outfielder, fourth outfielder, depending on who else is here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's one of those, like, I think everything will resolve itself kind of situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, look, given the choice, I'd have Nimmo in the lineup batting leadoff and McKinney on the bench. Um, but, yeah, he's he, I don't he's shown too much he'd have to be bad for an extended period of time to be a 26 year old who comes over um, and, you know, <laughs> is hitting like uh, Mike Trout on a bad week, um, <laughs> you know, 273, 355, 636 with four home runs. Um, and he's doing it without like a super inflated batting average on balls in play. Granted home runs don't factor into that. So if you're hitting them, uh, it doesn't it doesn't raise that number, but I don't know. He just he he similar to the idea with uh, Williams in Syracuse. He just looks the part. Doesn't yeah. look like he's overmatched up there. He's hitting extremely well. Um. So yeah, if imagine coming into the season uh, from opening day and and or on opening day saying. You know, by the middle of June, the Mets are going to have too many outfielders, and they might have to trade one so they don't just <laughs> lose them on on you know waivers. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say is you know if you look at the way the roster is currently constructed, you figure you you swap out let's just say Drury for McNeil, and then you swap out let's say Mason Williams for for Conforto. You could probably swap out Peraza for Nimmo. You're then a more outfield heavy bench than you than maybe you'd want to be, but you could do that. But when JD Davis comes back, 
you, you have to make either a really tough offensive choice or you have to limit the bullpen at that point. And I think that by... I, I think Davis is more than likely a second-half comeback at this point. And by that point, maybe you have Carrasco. And so maybe you don't need quite as many guys in the bullpen because you're not having so many bullpen games. Um, I don't know. It just... I, I think at that point you you may have to trade somebody. And, you know, this is me being a total fucking homer. I'm just saying that right now. Like, I don't want the mess to trade any of these guys. I really like this team. I like this team on the field and off the field. You know, I don't I don't want to see any of these guys go away. But I don't see how you can carry a full stocked bullpen and all of these guys long term. And that bums me out. Yeah. Is there a player that you think would make the most sense to trade? Um, I mean, it's not going to be any of the long-time guys, you know? Um, it's a weird... <laughs> I, it, it, when, the, when the team's dislikable... Like you said, it bums you out. You don't want to see anybody go. Um, I mean, ironically, I guess JD is probably like one of the guys that makes the most sense. But he's going to have the least amount of like 2021 numbers to make that trade make sense. Like, I don't know if anyone's going to necessarily take your word that he's healthy and is back to normal having seen this. Right. Right. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. <laughs> uh, let's see. What a luxury to have to, to be here. Like, is there anybody who makes sense to trade away? I mean, I mean, there's one guy who makes a lot of sense that neither of us want to talk about. Well, yeah. And that's I mean, Dom Smith, right? I mean, yeah. If, if, if the, if the national league doesn't get, the DH next year, then it's going to look a little silly that the Mets held on to Dom Smith when they could have bolstered another part of their f- team with holding on to him because he really doesn't have a place on the roster in the way it's currently constructed. I love Dom. I want Dom on the team. I am not advocating for trading Dom. But I think if you're looking at sort of who's the odd man out here, it would have been Davis had Davis been healthy. And so I think if you want to, if if the goal is to get something back, Dom is the guy you trade. If the goal is just to get rid of somebody and get anything back, maybe you flip McKinney in, in July. Right, where you, you you bet on it being a, a really hot run and not a breakout. Right, um, and the only significant. Uh, upcoming free agent is Conforto. Right. And one, don't trade Conforto. And two, <laughs> it, it wouldn't even make sense. The only the only kind of team you would trade him to would be another team that's contending. And you don't um, want to face Conforto with the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, no, opening up that possibility is just bad. And, uh, you know, I think... 
the Scott Boris representation and for all the same reasons that the Mets might be unsure about being able to keep him long term, uh, a new team would certainly feel that way. Uh, and if you're the Mets, you just bare minimum hold on to him, give him the QO if there is still is one. If there is still is one, that's a good way to put something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably about as logical as the CBA negotiations negotiations are going to be this winter. Right. Uh, <laughs> Um, I mean, but yeah, look, you, you just can't, you can't do that. This is right. not allowed. <laughs> Agreed. And also I feel like there's, there's, um, look, I'm not saying that Billy McKinney should replace Michael Conforto next season, but if you're looking, and I know McKinney is not under contract for next season, I would think that McKinney has enjoyed his time in Queens and you could probably re-sign him as an insurance early in the offseason in case Conforto goes elsewhere. And again, I am not advocating for choosing Billy McKinney over Matt Conforto. I am not saying that at all. But I think that McKinney on the bench, I mean, he's shown that he can fill in and not be a dumpster fire in right field. He's a good defensive right fielder. He hits the ball. He's been hitting the ball with authority, you know. So I think that you want to keep McKinney here in case you need a backup option to sign cheaply in case Conforto walks. Um, not that you couldn't re-sign McKinney if you trade him. I just think players tend to not do that, right? Very rarely do you see a player traded away midseason and then come back and sign with the team that traded him away. Yeah. Yeah, Familia is like one of the few exceptions to that. Yes. He... It, it, this, it, it, it's a balance the roster thing more than anything familia actually could make sense to trade but again i don't know he's been effective that outing on sunday he was just overworked i don't want to say it's not his fault at all but like he lost the strike zone well into a two inning outing and they just left him in that you know that that part was not on him right um so he, he's been an effective reliever the, the walk issue is one that i don't enjoy uh, out of anybody coming out of the bullpen, but um, you know, I'd, I'd still be reluctant to trade any reliever just because we've seen how often guys get hurt this year. Um, even when they're avoiding catastrophic injury, the mess could be down one or two bullpen arms, and Familia might need to be you know relied upon for a couple weeks when the games matter a lot. So, uh. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd hesitate to do that, too. It, when, when your team is good, you don't want to trade anybody. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I think that you almost have to be creative with with how you manage the roster. I mean, really creative. Like you said, I, I didn't even think of the Drew Smith on the taxi squad thing. That's brilliant, man. Like That's, that's really smart. And the Mets are going to have to keep doing stuff like that to get through the rest of the season because the roster crunch is coming. And, you know, I don't want to put all the blame on the Wilpons here, but it just seems to me, I was talking to my friend Anthony who I went to the game with on um, on Wednesday night about, it just seems like the Mets this year, almost every flyer they've taken on a player has worked out. And some of that has to be just luck and not better scouting, better analytics some of it has to be luck but obviously the Mets are getting better or at least they have we have some small evidence that they got better just 
they're better at identifying potentially useful players on the free agent market and on the trade market. And they've really, really needed that skill this year. And the hope is that they already know who the players that they would want to acquire would be. And they know the type of players that that will take to get those players, and so maybe there's a grand Billy McKinney plan that we don't know about that that they that they are looking out and they're saying, okay, you know, we want to trade, we want to get another starter, and X team needs a right fielder, and so we're going to hold on to McKinney until we can maybe make that move. You know, I just trust them to be better at this than I am at this, and so I hope that this is not going to be an issue. But I just really hope that we don't get into a you know, a Joe Smith situation where a player or a Darren O'Day situation, right? These these players who the Mets had and just through shitty roster manipulation lost. I hope that McKinney or Jacob Barnes to a lesser degree, and I hope that these people aren't the next version of those stories. I hope that this right. team is smarter than that. Right. Well, at, at the very least... They did not burn any of them to bring Nelson Figueroa up for a start because they didn't want to put Mike Pelfrey on the injured list. <laughs> you are correct. Yes. Um, so even if it's the result of not putting DeGrom on the injured list, at least it was for DeGrom. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. No disrespect to, as Trevor May referred to him on this podcast, Mets legend Mike Pelfrey. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that. God. I I... I did you notice any Trevor May March at the, at the ballpark? I don't want to fun over him too much here, but the, I just love <laughs> the personality. The in-game interview he did the other night was like the, the 1% of in-game interviews that was actually good. It was quite literally the best in-game interview I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> right. Like the dude just loves to talk. Between him and Lindor, I don't know who talks more. Like in an average 24-hour span, I don't know who says more words, but the... <laughs> It would be it would be a good competition, um, but yeah, no, it was great. Like he just has this intelligence about him, um, about the about the game and his status in it, and you know, and then the 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 warmth and personality to make that entertaining. Um, so yeah, that that was that was pretty great. But anyway, I'm, I'm going to buy a May jersey if the Mets make one. Um, I did not see one, but I also. I I pretty much kept my ballpark uh, interactions to the Pat LaFrieda uh, steak sandwich line, yeah. the beer line, and watching the game. So I did not go into the team store or anything like that. Yes. Well, congrats on, on going to a game. I had hoped to go. I wasn't quite ready. I think I'll get to a game sometime in the next month, I hope. Um, but, yeah, it is. It, it sure is nice to be vaccinated and uh, – being able to do more things yes it is it is um i will say like it was it was very weird being at the game uh we're probably going to get some hate tweets saying that we're sp spinning misinformation as we did last time we discussed this sort of stuff <laughs> um but like you know, it was i so i actually i was about two miles from my house and realized i forgot my vaccination card which is like you know when you have the one thing to do all day and you keep yep. telling yourself you gotta, you gotta put the laundry in the dryer put the laundry whatever it is and then you forget to do that that was the vaccination card so i turned around went back home got the vaccination card and no one even checked it you know it was just i walked in the ballpark and it was as if nothing had ever happened um 
Right. Well, yeah, and that change went into effect that afternoon. So, like, while you were doing that, they they lifted (laughs) that check. (laughs) Right. And, you know, uh, no one was wearing a mask. Whatever. Like, look, it's outside. I understand all of that. It was just – it was a jarring thing to look around and just – if you had taken a picture of that and then asked me, like, when was this picture taken, I would have said, like, oh, that's from 2019, obviously. You know, right, it was just it right. was it was a little bit jarring. But uh, before we get called, I don't know what. Let's let's move on and do our our, our music picks of the day. Chris, oh, yeah. w- do you have one ready? If not, I do. I, I can go first if you if you're not ready to spin one. Um. Well, I'll go with one. I I, uh, I, I everybody who pays close attention to these things, all five of you, I think. <laughs> yeah. If you but if you track these things you, and you track new music releases, you might say, "Oh, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard put out a record." That's going to be Chris's pick. Um, but this one that came out last week is not. I don't know. Maybe at some point it'll be a little more for me. Um, they went like super stripped down and, and like and synthy, uh, kind of like no more than a couple instruments at a time. Cool concept. Just didn't turn out to be a bunch of songs that I totally love. And you know, this is from a band that's made at least 10 albums that I totally love. So <laughs> that's okay. Um, so that's, that's my, that's my curveball of the week. And then I'm just going to go to the one thing I have tickets for that's indoors later this year is uh, Devo at Radio City, which at the moment would still fall under a proof of vaccine uh, requirement because of the size of the event. By the time it happens in September, I'm going to guess that'll be lifted as well, as long as we've, we've gotten, uh, you know, stayed in a really good place where there's, um, you know, not any significant rise or hopefully the near elimination of cases in New York. Um, so I have tickets to Devo. Uh, I don't think I'm repeating a pick here. I know I like praised the hell out of them after we saw them at Desert Days. Uh, and then yesterday I popped into a record shop and they had a, a recent arrival of a used copy of freedom of choice by Devo. Uh, whip it is on there. And obviously that's the song everybody knows the best, but it's the worst song on freedom of choice by a country mile. <laughs> yeah. No yeah, offense just, to whip it, but just, right, no, no, no. It's catchy as hell. I understand why it, why it did what it did and why everybody knows it. Um, but goddamn, every song on the record is good, and, and like I've known that for a while. But I, I don't know. I picked it up on vinyl yesterday, um, and if if you think Whip It is all that Devo is, you are very wrong. Uh, I I'm a little d- disappointed in myself that I hadn't given them more of a shot sooner. Um, and one or two of my favorite songs of theirs are, are on a different record, but uh, there's. Every song except one on the entire record, no, sorry, two, is under three minutes. The two that aren't are three and a half minutes each. And it it's just like perfect use of that time. Um, so, yeah, I, I think between now and September, I need to obtain a Devo helmet, hat, whatever you want to call it, you know. Uh, it's Energy Dome, I believe, correct? Uh, yes, yes. I need I need to catch up on my lingo. Um, <laughs> the LP has like a really cool insert with a lot of hand drawn stuff. I probably need to study this. You know, there's there's a whole thing. Uh, and then also just a, a little Devo tidbit. 
for those of you out there who, who care about New York City uh, and good music. Uh, there is a park in the Bronx called DeVoe Park, D-E-V-O-E. Uh, just look it up and look at what the playground structures look like at the top. Uh, somebody in the parks department, I hope they got a raise for, for when they made that happen. <laughs> awesome. I hope so, too. Um, also, I just just put this out there. Um, the first three or four Devo records are almost perfect. So just check out those first three or four records. There, you will not be disappointed, no matter what. Um, my choice is a very timely one. Uh, although it is a fifty-year-old record, uh, it is the fiftieth anniversary of this record. But today is the birthday of one Mister James Paul McCartney. Uh, Paul McCartney is. I mean, if, if you don't know who Paul McCartney is, just get offline and listen to a Beatles album or something. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but today is uh, Paul McCartney's 79th birthday. And that seems almost crazy that he is 79 years old. But, you know, he's been doing this for a very, very long time. And Paul McCartney is maybe my favorite human that's not like a personal relation of mine, a friend or a family member. Right. Uh, Paul McCartney <laughs> is like, he's the best, right? And... There are people out there who think of Paul McCartney and they think of Ebony and Ivory and Silly Love Songs, and um, that's just wrong. Um, it's it, you know he he has done some very cheesy stuff over the course of his career. He's also done like a bunch of electronic albums, and he is a very very forward thinker in terms of like studio techniques and you know he's done a lot of experimentation and all of that and so I, I i encourage you to go back and listen to anything mccartney's ever done every mccartney album has something good on it some you really have to squint to find that good thing on it but um i i, I love paul mccartney but the album i'm talking about today is the only album he released over the course of his career that is credited to paul and linda mccartney it is ram it was the second album that he released after leaving the beatles um the first one, McCartney, is also excellent. That was recorded totally at home, just McCartney. This, he got some studio musicians to play with him in New York City. He held auditions. He did not say what he what it was an audition for. He just put an ad in the paper and put out some feelers, and some guys showed up thinking they were auditioning for Random Band and in walks Paul McCartney. Um, but the album is really weird. Like I, it was, It was totally dismissed when it was released because it's just bizarre um there's a couple of songs on it that, uh, that you may know if you're a mccartney fan uh backseat of my car too many people uncle albert admiral halsey but there's a lot of songs about just like weird it's 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 like almost it's almost like an album of children's songs in some ways there's a song called monkberry moon delight that's about moonshine i think there's a song about um, it's called it's called uh, Mile Smile Away, and it's basically about how how McCartney didn't like taking showers, like how he stinks. It's very very <laughs> weird, but there's some great playing on it. And Linda McCartney does not have a fantastic voice, but the harmonies that they did on this uh, are are really really good and really interesting and unique. And everything about this album is is the like antithesis of what you think a Paul McCartney album would be if you just think of like Say 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 and The Girl Is Mine as McCartney stuff, right? It's just weird and um you know, I love John Lennon. I am not this is not a slam on John Lennon, but people tend to think of John Lennon as the 
the experimental Beatle, and almost everything Lennon ever did that was experimental, McCartney did first. Like, McCartney taught him about tape loops, and then Lennon went and did Revolution 9, but that was McCartney's thing, like, years before then. And McCartney is just, he's one of the most talented musicians who's ever lived. He's probably the best songwriter of the 20th century. He's just an international treasure, and we still have him here, and that's a beautiful thing. So while he's still here, crank up Ram. It's the 50th anniversary. I have I have my mother's original vinyl copy from 1971. Um, it's still in pretty good shape, and I will definitely be playing that at some point today. So happy birthday, Paul, and that is our uh, music picks for this week. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. We truly appreciate it. Have a fantastic weekend. Hopefully, the next time we speak... First of all, the Mets will have played eight games the next time (laughs) we speak, um, which is crazy. Uh, Lots of Ilars of the day to to pump out between now and then. But, you know, uh, so... um, you know, let's go Mets. Uh, check out AmazingAvenue.com for reca- recaps and news about all those games and much, much more. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. This podcast is on Amazon Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Find these podcasts, listen to them, rate, review, subscribe. Those things help us quite a bit. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am at Brian Needs an app. And until next time, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.